Hi, I'm Jennifer Matthewson Spear, and you have joined us today for a Word of Joy podcast. Father, thank you so much for your grace. And Lord, tonight as we look into your word and and we dig out the truths of grace, Father, I'm just praying tonight that you would open our eyes to see things we have never seen before, to have an understanding deeper than we have ever had before. Father, I pray that you would just um, settle my mind and my heart and that I would speak only what you would have me speak and it would be clear and that your spirit would make it clear thank you father for these women for being here for this opportunity thank you for grace community bible church that has put in the time and the effort to to organize this thank you for lisa and her team father lord we love you we need you we worship you in jesus name amen We started in chapter 1 last week and got all the way through chapter 1, surprisingly. But Paul really does want us to understand who we are and what we have in Christ. When we come to the book of Ephesians, we said last week that these first three chapters of Ephesians, are Paul is laying out in this magnificent way who we are in Christ. And in in chapter 1 really just almost reads like a laundry list of what we have available to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who we are in Christ. Now, we study chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to try to get through all three chapters tonight. We're going to try to finish this first half of the book of Ephesians because you will notice that the title of this study is Walk This Way. And we get to those last three chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians, and Paul is saying, okay, now you know who you are in Christ. This is how you live. This is how you walk it out. And when I first talked to Lisa about this study, I thought, you know, I'm just going to do those last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6. We'll take six weeks on those last chapters. And then as I studied, the Holy Spirit said, you can't do that. Because you cannot walk out the Christian life apart from knowing who you are in Christ. And so in chapter 1, Paul wants us to know who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. And I asked you to underline every time you come to that little phrase, in Christ. And we see that that everything we have been blessed with in verse 3, every spiritual blessing is given to us by God the Father through Jesus Christ, sealed through God the Holy Spirit. And you're, something else I want you to notice as we go through the book of Ephesians, and I didn't really point it out last week, and I, I won't belabor it, but you are going to see this expounding over and over on the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all involved in this, this walk of grace that we are on as believers in Christ. But Paul wants us to understand in chapter 1 who we are. Remember, you are chosen, that God knew you before the foundation of the earth. He chose to have a relationship with you, and he has declared you holy and blameless. This is not something you have done. It is not something you have earned. It is something he has put to your account. He has declared it, and you cannot undo it. He has given you the status of adoption, that adult adopted child. And we don't come into the family of God by adoption. We are not adopted into the family of God. We come into the family of God by new birth. 
Remember the story of, of Nicodemus, and Jesus says, you must be born again. It is, a, it is a new birth, but he says, you have the status, you have the position of an adult adopted child. And to the Romans, to someone in the Roman Empire, they understood completely what that meant. It meant you could never be disowned. God will never forsake you. He will never disown you. He will never brush you aside. He will never kick you out of the family. And not only are we, are we permanently in this family of God, but we have access to everything the Father has made available to us. Certainly, we come into the family of God at different ages, some eight years old, six years old, 80 years old, whatever the age and we are learning to live in light of all that we have been given. But we immediately have access to all of it, no matter what our age or how old we were, or even the depth of our understanding when we come into the family of God. We spend our life learning what we are to live in what we have already been given. And that is all included in that, in that idea, in that principle of being adopted. And then he says, you're redeemed. The full price for your redemption has been paid. To redeem means to buy back, paying the full price. And the full price was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven. The slate wiped clean. God does not see you as some poor, pitiful, begging sinner. He sees you as righteous and clean and forgiven. We are heirs with Christ. The Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes about this, this age, this, this administration, this mystery of God that is being revealed through the ages. And, and you have a stake in that. You have a part in that. And he says part of that is that you have the church. You are the church. And we're going to talk about that a lot more tonight. Some of us don't see the church as a great big fat blessing. But God does. You're part of that church. You are heirs to this kingdom, to this mystery that God is unveiling in history. And finally, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That seal means it is a finished transaction, never to be undone. He is also a pledge and a promise of even more to come. You see, the, the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. There is more yet to come. There is, a, there is something waiting, and that waiting is our home in heaven with Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the promise that that is coming. Wow, we have so much. And Paul prays that prayer in, in verse 18, that I want the eyes of your heart to be open. I want you to have this deep understanding of all that you have in Christ. And then we come to chapter 2 tonight. And he says in chapter 2, he wants to show us, if you don't think it's awesome, great, spectacular, what you have in Christ, let me remind you of who you were before Christ. Anytime a jeweler wants to show you the beautiful facets of a diamond and really wants to make them sparkle, he puts it against black velvet. The blackness of the background accentuates the brilliance of the stone. And verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2 are the black velvet background. That we are going to see the brilliance, the magnificence of our salvation. And so for three verses, we're going to look back. And this looking back is not, listen to me, 
It is not a trek into condemnation. It is not a looking back with guilt or regret. It is simply a looking back so that we can rejoice in what Christ has done in us. So if your lens is all clouded with guilt and condemnation and regret, let me tell you something. God didn't put that there. You did. So wipe it off. And you wipe it off by reading the Word, and especially chapter 1, of who God has declared you to be in Christ. Now, my sister-in-law watched the video from last week, and she told Alan, she said, you know what, I can tell Jennifer hasn't, hasn't taught in six months. She was wired. <laughs> and I was, and I still am. Because I am so, I just love the book of Ephesians. And one of the things I love about teaching is I can teach the same passages of Scripture over and over and over again. And every time I see something new, there is another facet to that diamond that I just hadn't seen before. I want us to look at verses 1, 2, and 3, what sin has done to us. It's number one on your outline. I'm going to read all three verses, and then we're going to go back and break it down just a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you, who is the you? It's these Christians in Ephesus that he is talking to. But tonight, you put your name right there. And you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It doesn't say you were sick. It says you were dead. We, don't, we aren't sick and need resuscitation. We are dead and need a resurrection. We need new life. We don't just need to get cleaned up and get better. We need new life. And he says, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. But we're not physically dead. So, so what is Paul saying? You are dead. Now, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a therapist, but I can look at Scripture, especially 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, and I understand that God created man, people, as a trichotomy. In other words, there are three aspects to every, hum every human being, spirit, soul, and body. Now, a lot of times in Christian circles, we interchange spirit and soul, but I believe Scripture separates them. Spirit, soul, and body. Paul is saying you are dead in your trespasses and sin. He is talking about our spirit. It is that which God has created within us that enables us to communicate, to have a relationship with God. It sets us apart from every other created being on the planet. We have a spirit. And when we are dead in our trespasses and sin, our spirit is dead. It is not a capital S on that spirit. It is a lowercase s. It is just a human spirit with an old, earthly, fleshly nature that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. We inherited it from Adam. When Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says they died. They were dead. They died spiritually. 
We are dead spiritually. We cannot communicate with God. We cannot hear God. We, we don't have any relationship with God without Christ. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And because our spirit is dead, it affects our soul. Now, our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And that old dead fleshly spirit affects the way we think, the way we feel, our will, our desires. And then the body is affected because guess what? This old body, since Adam sinned, this old body is decaying and it will die. It will die. And this is the last thing that's going to be redeemed about us is that when we die and we're buried and then Christ calls us home, and we're resurrected with the church, and I don't know all the details of everything and how that's all going to unpack, but we're going to get a new body. And this old corrupted body is going to be a new body, and I can't wait because you know what? I'm going to look better. (laughs) (laughs) So that dead in our trespasses and sin has affected everything. So what does he mean when he says dead in trespasses and sin? Trespasses is a willful neglect of God's word. It is willfully disobeying God. But what about sins? What is sins? Sins means missing the mark. Anything that we do that misses the mark of God's perfect holiness. Do you know what misses the mark? Everything. Everything. Even our goodness. Even our religion even our praying without Christ. Everything that we would do to try to please God, to try to be a good person, it misses the mark. Isaiah says, our goodness, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We could stack all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds up to the ceiling, and it would be enough. Not, it would not be enough to meet the criteria of God's perfection and his holiness. Some of you are saying right now, but Jennifer, I am a good person. I, I, I go to church. I've been in church all my life. I'm faithful. I, I say my prayers. I say my, my, my creed, my catechism, my whatever, whatever. We all come from different backgrounds, whatever. I, I've been, I'm good. I'm a good person. Well, let me tell you a story. One's a funny story and one's not very funny. The Bible says we're all dead in our trespasses and sin. We're all dead. Well, there was a man who had a hunting dog, and he loved that hunting dog. He kept it in the backyard. And that man had a neighbor who had a beautiful Angora rabbit. And that neighbor loved that Angora rabbit. It was his pet. It was his pride and joy. He had this little precious hutch that he kept it in. He, was just, he just loved that Angora rabbit. But every day the man with the dog would go out there, and that dog was trying to get after that rabbit. He'd try to dig under the fence. He was barking at it. He was always trying to get after that rabbit. One day the man with the dog walked into the backyard, and sure enough, he saw a hole under the fence, and there lay his dog with that rabbit dead as a doornail right beside that dog. Well, that man just panicked. He knew the neighbor loved that rabbit. So he, he, he picked up that little dead rabbit, and he took it inside, and he washed it. He bathed it. And then he took a hairdryer and he blew that beautiful Angora hair and fluffed it all up. And then he took that little stiff dead rabbit and he bent those limbs so that little rabbit looked like he was just sitting up real nice and pretty. 
And he snuck over to the neighbor's yard, and he put that beautiful dead rabbit back in the hutch. And he went home. It wasn't too long before he heard, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And the man with the dog went running out in the backyard, neighbor, neighbor, well, what's the matter? He said, the neighbor said, this rabbit died yesterday, and I buried it, and it's back in the hutch. Now, keep that in mind. I want to tell you another story. <laughs> when my boys were younger, there was this little black cat that took up residence at our house. It was a cute little cat. I told them not to feed it, but they did, and so it stayed. We never even named it. It didn't stay long enough. But we noticed that its belly was growing, and, and that little cat was pregnant, and it was going to have kittens, and I didn't know what we were going to do. But my boys just loved that cat. Well, one day they had gone to school, and I went out the front door, and I saw that a car had run over that little cat. And I don't mean hit it. I mean ran over it. And a pregnant run-over cat, it was the biggest mess you've ever seen. Well, I called my husband at work, and that's my late husband. I said, hey, can you come home and get a shovel and just scrape this up? Because I don't want the boys to have to see this when they come home from school. And he said, sure. And he came home for lunch, and bless his little heart, he got a shovel, and he just scraped it up. He took it to the backyard. He dug a hole. He put the remains of that cat in the hole. He covered it up, and, and then we explained to the boys what happened. The next day, I looked out in the backyard and there are remains of that nasty, rotten, smushed cat all over my backyard. Some dog or some animal had gotten into that hole. They dug it up. They drug it around. It was strewn in pieces all over my backyard. Stinking, rotten, horrible cat. I called my husband again. <laughs> I said, obviously, I'm not going to do it. I said, can you please come and put And he did. He came home. He gathered up as many pieces as he could find. He dug the hole deeper. He put rocks on top of it. He covered it up. And that was the end of that nasty, putrid, rotten mess. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one was more dead? That beautiful Angora rabbit in the hutch or the putrid cat in the backyard? Which one's more dead? It's not a trick question. They are both equally dead. The only difference is the degree of decay. Ladies, some of you are here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you are the beautiful dead you're like that pretty rabbit in the hutch. You look good. You go to church. You do the right things. You try to be good. But apart from Christ, no matter how beautiful you look, how religious you are, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And some of you have come tonight, and life has beat you up, and sin has ravaged you, and you carry in your mind and in your heart and in your life the scars and the decay of sin. And you feel like that old rotten cat that's been strewn and picked apart. You're dead in your trespasses and sin too. The beautiful dead and the ugly dead are both 
dead in their trespasses and sin without hope except for Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to describe, we are dead, we are spiritually dead, but we are alive to something. As unbelievers, as people without Christ, whether you are the beautiful dead or the ugly dead, you are without Christ, you are alive to something, and you are alive to a three-pronged enemy. Verse 2, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, that's number one, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's number two, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we also formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, that's number three, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. Paul's putting himself in the same category as people, as, as these Gentiles that he's talking to. He, he's a Jew, but he's saying even us religious Jews, we were the beautiful dead. And you Gentiles, you might have been the ugly dead. But we're both dead in our trespasses and sins without Christ. And he says, and we are alive, though, to the enemy. And it's a three-pronged enemy. And he puts it in the order of the world and Satan and our flesh. But I'm going to change the order, not because it's just for study purposes, not because Paul did it wrong. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. But when we are without Christ, we are on Satan's team. We're alive. That, that sinful nature that we have is alive to the enemy. And then we live in this world system. That's what Paul is talking about, that you, according to the course of this world. It is a world system that is opposed to God. And people within that world system who are opposed to God, we're alive to that. Our, our flesh nature is alive to that as non-believers without Christ. And then he says, and we too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh now, that word lust, we often attribute to sexual lust. And yet the word lust simply means strong desire that must be gratified. And he is saying this, we are, the, the person without Christ is operating out of their own desires, out of their own lust. Whatever their flesh wants, they want it. They want it now. They want it in their way, in their time. They want it. The lust of their flesh and their mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath means deserving of God's punishment, deserving of being separated from God. This is, this is the sin that nailed Christ to the cross. It's the sin that causes God's face to turn away from his own son while he is being crucified. And, and Paul is saying, this is who you were before Christ, before chapter one, before chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, heirs, sealed, this is you, dead in your trespasses and sin, alive to Satan, the ruler of this world, the kingpin of it all, and this world system that he has put into place and that he operates in and he works out of, and then our own fleshly desires, you're alive to that. It is a hopeless, helpless, bleak situation. It is an impossible spiritual situation. We cannot meet God's standard in this condition. And then there's verse 4. What God does for us. In verse 4, 
Those first two words, I want you to underline them. But God. But God. It is a contrast. It is changing of the direction. It is God stepping into a hopeless situation and giving hope. 41 times in Scripture, that little phrase, but God, appears. God steps into our hopelessness, and look how he does it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God steps into our hopelessness. Ladies, the sentence of death has been pronounced on us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. The death sentence has been pronounced, and yet God says, wait. He stays the execution And he provides a substitute for our death. And that substitute is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, he is rich in mercy. Why is he rich in mercy? Because, look at the phrase in verse 4, because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you know, the, the, I don't, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I have to depend on others who are. But the way that is phrased is with, because of the great love with which he has already loved us. From before the beginning of time, before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had a plan for our redemption, for our salvation. And it was to sacrifice Jesus, the Son, to shed his blood in our place. Why? Because God loves us. And there's two words there I want us to explore for for just a minute. It is that word mercy. And then it says in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. You see, mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin. The coin is God's love. And he demonstrates his love toward us through mercy and through grace. Mercy, I've always described it as withholding what we really do deserve. We're children of wrath. We're sons of disobedience. We deserve God's wrath, but he has withheld his wrath because he's merciful. But he offers us grace. I want you to write down this definition of grace. We explored it a little bit last week. We said grace was God's unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. But here's a new one. I want you to write this down. Grace is what God alone can do in, to, for, and through. Four prepositions, right, Trina? In, to, for, and through undeserving people. Grace is what only God can do in, to, for, and through undeserving people. You see, mercy and grace are part of God's love. That's how he demonstrates his love toward us. God is rich in mercy because of his great love. Even when we were dead, in our transgressions. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't get good 
And then God came on the scene and said, okay, I think you're good enough. I'll save you now. For by grace you have been saved. That word saved means rescued. He has rescued us out of verses 1, 2, and 3. That condition of being dead to him. And how did he do that? He says he made us alive together with Christ. That word alive means he quickens us. Because let me tell you something, dead things can't respond. So the Holy Spirit quickens us. He enables us. He gives us the faith to even be able to respond, to hear from God. Everything about our salvation, God provides. You don't even provide the ears to hear. You don't even provide the drawing. You know why? He says it over in the next couple of verses we're going to look at, so that you can't brag about any of it. None of it is because of you. It's all because of God's great love for us. There was something interesting that, that I looked at as I studied this, and I, as I really was listening to a friend of mine preach. See, mercy... Let me back up. Grace deals with the sin. Mercy deals with the consequences. I'm going to say that again because it's important. Grace deals with the sin. Mercy deals with the consequences. And do you understand? I want you to hear me, ladies. Grace and mercy doesn't stop at the point of salvation. It is alive and active every day of your life from this point on. Why is that so personal to me? Because as an adult believer in Christ, who was a teacher, a pastor's wife, had walked with the Lord a long time, I went through a difficult season in my life where I made some terrible choices. And those choices had dire consequences. I was a believer. And God's mercy and God's grace were there. You see, God's grace covered my sin, forgave me, and God's mercy has and still is dealing with the consequences of those choices. You see, God very rarely removes the consequences of our choices, but he redeems them. Redeems means he buys them back. He makes them new. He didn't erase the consequences of my adult Christian life choices, but he's redeeming. He is making them new by his mercy. He is taking those consequences and he is making them into something that glorifies him. That's mercy. And grace and mercy follows us all the days of our life. That's what Romans 8:28 is all about. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose doesn't mean called to ministry, it means called to salvation. All things work together for good. Why? Because God's mercy and His grace that saved you is still at work in your life. Romans 8.28 is not some spiritual band-aid that we can just plaster over any behavior we want to. But it is a spiritual principle that came at the high cost of the death of Jesus Christ. And it is a precious, precious 
Thank you for joining us today for this Word of Joy podcast. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Word of Joy or you would like to know more about the resources that are available, just take a look at our website at www.wordofjoy.org.